Welcome to Planttopia. I'm your host, David Godori, and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Planttopia. Your mealybugs are your neighbor's mealybugs, and your viruses are your neighbor's viruses, and vice versa. The idea of shared responsibility for the common good is a theme that repeats across many cultures. It's a simple and perhaps universal concept that no person's actions are independent and isolated in their downstream effects. In today's episode, we'll learn of just how many ways this concept applies to wine grapes. Someone illegally brought grapevines into California from another country, did not go through the quarantine process, um, and now we have an invasive vine mealybug that is spreading viruses, grapevine viruses, throughout our vineyards like wildfire. From education on the dangers of smuggling plant material to creating islands of habitat for biological control organisms to the collective agreement on a set of rules by which crops can be produced in a more sustainable fashion. It all works better when we look out for each other. That's all in today's episode of Plantopia. Hi, my name is Stephanie Bolton, and I lead the Grower Research and Education Outreach Programs, along with the Lodi Rules Sustainable Wine Growing Certification Program for the Lodi Wine Grape Farmers in California. Stephanie, you work for essentially a, a type of a grower cooperative, and there, there are a lot of these around uh, the country. We have one in New York, the New York and Wine Grape Foundation. Other states and other regions have them. Tell us a little bit about the one uh, that you're in- involved with. Sure. I wouldn't call it a cooperative. It's called a commission. So it's it's an organization where the growers decided, and they vote every five years on whether or not they want to continue doing this, they decided in 1991 to tax themselves, which is very rare for a farmer to to um, willfully tax themselves, right? To tax themselves, um, to put money into a pot so that they could enhance the promotion of the region through research and education and just general promotion of the the wine and the grapes from the Lodi AVA or American Viticultural Area, which is located just south of Sacramento and just east of San Francisco. Why would growers want to do that? Isn't the government just throwing money at agricultural research? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think that they were really wise and they wanted to help themselves. There's so many different challenges that come with grape growing. We have new challenges thrown at us all the time. And this way, they could make sure that they were doing viticultural research that was pertinent to our farming systems in Lodi. We have a lot of different trellising systems for the grapevines. We grow over 120 different varieties of grapes. Um, And so if you can, as you know, as a scientist, if you can adapt the research more to your particular conditions, it's going to be much more applicable. And then what's really neat is they wanted to enhance the outreach 
in the region as well. So we were very lucky to have a viticultural farm advisor, which is similar to an extension agent on the East Coast, who was with us for 30 years named Paul Vertigal. So we had a great um a great link to the University of California system through Paul. And then we were able to enhance that through, um, yeah, through having our own education outreach program, which works collaboratively with other universities and industry members. So essentially, they, if they are funding the research, they have a lot more control over making sure that the research addresses their most immediate priorities. Exactly. And is applicable and timely and relevant and and that that research is then interpreted in a way that makes sense for the farmer and um, you know can be and can be quickly interpreted because there's a lot of science that happens that is not communicated effectively to the target audience, right? What are some of the challenges facing the California industry now? One of the biggest challenges that we've focused on in Lodi in recent years is an invasive insect pest called the vine mealybug that was brought over on what we call in the wine industry suitcase material. So um, someone illegally brought grapevines into California from another country, did not go through the quarantine process, um, and now we have an invasive vine mealybug that is spreading viruses, grapevine viruses, throughout our vineyards like wildfire. And the viruses that the vine mealybug spreads are leaf roll viruses and vitaviruses. Leaf roll viruses, there's one called leaf roll 3 virus, and that's that might have now surpassed powdery mildew in terms of damage for for grapes worldwide currently. Um, it's it's pretty devastating to the can be pretty devastating to the quality of the grapes. It reduces photosynthesis, which lowers the yield, lowers those good quality components of a wine grape, anthocyanins and color. And we're noticing that. When a grapevine on certain rootstocks is infected with leaf roll virus and a vitivirus, again, both of which can be transmitted by the vine mealybug, when a, a vine has that co-infection on certain rootstocks, the vine can collapse. So is there a price on the head of this person if they ever find them? <laughs> I think that the average consumer, the av- you know, the average American doesn't understand the devastation that could come with bringing a piece of plant material or a, fr- you know, a fruit or a vegetable across the border. With you know, that's why you have those customs inspections and those those forms that you fill out. And I know I had a friend in college who bragged about her dad bringing her an apple from Japan. And I had just learned in my, in my, I think food science coursework that that could have dire consequences and you, people just don't understand what could happen. And so those rules are there for a reason. And it'd be nice if more people understood that, but with our international culture, that's kind of part of our new world we live in, right? Things are going back and forth, and um, I think it's really hard to prevent 
some of these insects from entering our food systems. One would think after Dutch elm disease, chestnut blight, and a number of introduced insect pests, a lot of which we've talked about on this podcast, that the general public might be catching on by now, if not the general public catching on, that the agricultural community would recognize the danger in this by now. Totally. But I don't think that it's common. I don't think it's common knowledge. You know, I had not heard about the situation with the chestnuts until I went to grad school for plant pathology. And even though you might see a headline with a spotted lantern fly and a scary story, I don't think that the average person really connects all of the dots to, you know, how their actions of bringing a piece of fruit in from another country could could cause something like that, right? But hopefully with more education, people will understand that. So the mealybug has made the first move. Uh, now what do we do? So there's several things that we can do as a farmer of a vineyard. First of all, you know, you can only control what what is happening in your vineyard and then you can communicate with your neighbors in your region um, because whatever pro- like uh, we've had a lot of scientists wisely say your mealybugs are your neighbor's mealybugs and your viruses are your neighbor's viruses and vice versa for these ones that are transmissible in a region um, you know we the just like you study David Powdery Mildew the the mealybugs don't have boundaries, right? They These little tiny insects can blow in the wind and it only takes less than 15 minutes for one vine mealybug to infect a healthy grapevine with leaf roll virus. So, so the infection transmission um, rate is really high, at least the potential. So the best thing to do for a farm, the best thing a farmer can do is in the vineyard that he or she manages to remove the virus, any leaf roll virus. When this takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to identify the vines that are infected, it's very confusing and expensive to get the vines tested. It's not economically feasible right now in America to test every single vine. So you have to kind of learn the symptoms in your own vineyard. And only the red grape varieties, ones like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, etc., will show the characteristic red leaf symptoms in the fall that help you as a farmer identify which vines are infected. But you still have to do testing to verify that there is an infection. Um, so the, the mealybugs don't fly. The they do fact, fly. They do. So mealybugs have wings. <laughs> Well, the the mealybugs that you see that are photographed um, in, in photos, if you just type in mealybugs or if you're a home gardener, you've seen mealybugs. Those are the females that are the ones that are white and they kind of crawl around and it looks like they have legs around the outside of their body, but they're really just little, I don't know what you'd call those, maybe little filaments around the outside of their body. So those are the adult females. And then you have all those little crawlers, but the adult male mealybug can fly. Now that's not a that's not your big infection transmission risk there. Um but the I've I really want to see a video of this. So if anyone's listening and has a video of this, please share it with me. 
apparently the little crawlers can crawl up just like some ants do where the, you know the insect crawls to the highest point that they can reach and then the they'll I guess kind of I don't know how to say it they they kind of kite off the tip of the highest point they get to to blow in the wind the furthest they can go. Um, I've heard of the of a video of this existing with the muley bugs, but I have not yet seen it. And but yeah, they're they're sticky because they produce a honeydew, so they travel with the wind. They travel with equipment like tractors and machine harvesters that might go through a vineyard. They travel on workers' clothes. They travel on the bottom of your tires. And you don't really notice them. Somehow they've spread across California. Are they now found throughout the various viticultural regions of the state? Mealybugs are. We do have some regions that aren't sure if they have vine mealybugs yet. Um, more in the northeastern part of California. But we didn't, you know, in Lodi, where we are, we did not have the vine mealybugs for a while. And then all of a sudden we noticed that the populations had been exploding kind of secretly underneath the bark of the grapevines and in the roots. So even though there was some outreach posters, etc., we um there's this poster that I saw from, I think it was around 2001, that said, wanted vine mealybugs. You know, it's kind of an academic poster made speaking to the farmer to help them identify the vine mealybug as opposed to other species of the mealybug that do not have as many generations per year. So the vine mealybug is extra harmful just because it reproduces so much, so five to seven generations per growing season in Lodi. And so I've been trying to talk to some of those other regions to say, you know, you're lucky that you don't have the vine muley bug now, but we also didn't have it at one point. And and so it seems like just a matter of time before this insect goes and finds new regions to occupy. And because of its propensity to reside underneath the bark you know by the time you actually your your pest control advisor or you as the farmer walking through your vineyard actually see the mealybug there's already a pretty established population of the insect in the vineyard and it's it's very difficult if not impossible in a in a vineyard to eradicate the mealybug unless your vineyard was super isolated from other vineyards Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. So, what exactly are the Lodi Rules? Yeah, so Lodi Rules is a program. It's um, a sustainable wine growing certification program that started really as an integrated pest management program in 1992. And then Dr. Cliff Omart, who had my job in the 90s, he, he helped create, along with Chris Storm, Steve Mathiason, and lots of other people, helped create... Um, 
what they called the Lodi Wine Growers Handbook, which was this big book of farming practices. And that later, through lots of peer review and trials with farmers, that turned into the Lodi Rules Certification Program. So the program has over 100 different farming practices that farmers can implement and they're audited on the implementation of those practices every year. And those are in the categories of human resources management, business management, soil and water management, and ecosystem management and pest management. So it's, it's quite comprehensive. It's not just dealing with horticulture and pest management. Correct, correct. In some of the research that I did on uh, trying to prepare hastily for this interview, <laughs> I came across a biological control project for the uh, for addressing the mealybug problem. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So when we first started studying mealybugs in depth, and when I say we, the way we've we've led our viticulture research programs is we create these focus groups of scientists, extension personnel, farmers, pest control advisors, and people who are really interested in a particular topic. And then we meet once a month to discuss the topic in depth at a diner for breakfast. And we bring all of our ideas and, um, you know, do a really thorough international study of the problem or the challenge, mealybugs, viruses, whatever, and come together to discuss them and just to discuss what the farmer, you know, what does the average farmer think about this idea or this technique? And um, how do you think we can get them to start managing for it in a way that is, um, econo- you know, is economical and practical and efficient? So in the mealybug focus group that we formed, which was funded by the American Vineyard Foundation. In the mealybug focus group, we learned that we needed to start using pheromone mating disruption in our vineyards and that we needed to make sure that we weren't accidentally killing the beneficial insects. So that led to us doing a demonstration project, which was funded by the USDA Western SARE program, where we had five growers who demonstrated the use of pheromone mating disruption and the release of beneficial insects with the help of a drone in their vineyards. Is there um, a particular suite of biological control organisms that are being, being brought to bear on the problem? Yeah, so there is a researcher named, really great guy, named Dr. Kent Dana. He works for the University of California and we're just so grateful for this this wonderful man because he brought in and studied studied um, different anagyrus wasps and brought in different species of these wasps to help us balance out our ecosystem with this invasive vine mealybug. And the and he released these wasps in Lodi over I think over fifteen years ago and. We have now, we have native populations of the anagyrus wasp in Lodi that significantly help reduce the vine mealybug populations, which means that the spread of leaf roll virus is also reduced. And then the other insect we really like is called a cryptolamus beetle. But there are other other insects also that 
are beneficial in helping us um, balance out the vine mealy bug populations. So the, the wasp actually attacks the various stages of the, of the mealybug and lays its eggs in it. Huh? Sounds like a kind of a arthropod version of the horror movie Alien. Oh my gosh, this it's the coolest story. And this is one of the stories that we use to engage the children in farming and get them excited. So the Anagyrus wasp has... Um, I'm not an entomologist, so excuse my language well, here. Nor am I. <laughs> There's a lot so of they, us non-entomologists out there. <laughs> so the Anagyrus wasp first kind of stings the vine mealybug. And what I think happens, I haven't been able to confirm this. I, it kind of... It, kind of um freezes the vine mealybug and i think it uses a virus which is just crazy so makes it so that it's hard for the mealybug to move kind of paralyzes it and then the wasp turns around and another stinger comes out the backside of the wasp which it uses to oviposit or deposit an egg inside the female mealybug's body that egg then grows inside the the, this paralyzed vine mealybug's body and then chews its way out. And then what's awesome is that through lots of outreach, we've taught a lot of farmers, pest control advisors, children, everyone everyone who will um, listen to us, we've taught them how to look in their vineyard to make sure that they have this parasitism happening. So we've taught them how to look through the vineyard and find these wa- um these fine mealybug bodies that have holes in them. You can see it with your naked eye. It just looks like a black dot. And then if you use a little hand lens, you can see the hole. And so we've taught people how to find these, you know, you're not just scouting your vineyard looking for the pest insect. You're also looking that you have presence of beneficial insects, which would be the wasp and if you have time, I can tell you the story of the Cryptolamus beetle, which is also scientifically very cool. So the Cryptolamus beetle, it the adult beetle looks like what you would think a beetle looks like, kind of like a ladybug, but it's brown and black and orange. The A wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, that's where I'm getting to. So you definitely watch the video. So the juvenile or kind of teenage beetle is naturally developed over time as be to mimic the look of the vine mealybug. So even though the adult looks like a beetle, the juvenile stage of this insect looks like a mealybug. We call it kind of like a Rastafarian mealybug. It looks it the it's much shaggier version of the vine mealybug. And it's camouflaged that way so that it can go into the mealybug colonies and and eat them without the ants who are the vine mealybug protectors or farmers the ants farm the vine mealybug for the honeydew without the ants attacking the beetles that's a pretty clever insect (laughs) so fun aside do you think the natural enemies that are at work now are eventually going to control the spread or and reduce the populations 
of the vine mealybug to the level where it's a much less effective vector of, of the of the viruses. Yeah, that's a great question, David. Yes, absolutely. Think that eventually we will have a more balanced ecosystem out there in terms of this fine muley bug. If if we allow the natural, you know, as farmers, we need to make sure that we have habitat in the vineyards for that encourages the presence of these beneficial insects. Um, we need to be scouting for them to make sure that any of the plant protectants we might be applying in the vineyard are not accidentally killing them. We need, um, yeah, just to keep an eye on things to make sure that that these populations level out over time. However, for a while, we, you know, as of right now, beneficial insects alone in the majority of vineyards are not enough because the populations in and we'll just use California in general, the populations of the vine mealybug are, are too high for the natural enemies alone to take care of the mealybugs. But over time, I think we will get there. We're also introducing another cool biocontrol technique called pheromone mating disruption. So there's these little tags and there, or little granules. And, um, I've just recently learned there's also a little puffer system, but um, however you apply it, you can um, put out the pheromone of the vine mealybug, of the female vine mealybug, into the vineyard. So the scent of the female vine mealybug into the vineyard, and this confuses those flying male mealybugs so that they cannot as easily find the female vine mealybugs to mate and reproduce like crazy. Right, because presumably they're following gradients of the pheromones released by the females to, to right. hone in on them. And if it's just one big super saturated atmosphere of that, of that molecule or that scent, yeah, there's nothing to track. Exactly. And what's really cool is that in viticulture, and I would say in agriculture in general, we're learning that teamwork... Um, gives you the most bang for your buck with these kinds of um, these kinds of challenges. So, the more people in your region, the more farmers in your region that are using this mating disruption, the it ends up being um, a little more a little cheaper for you as a farmer. And then, so um, you know, even if the even if the pheromone kind of spreads around with the wind a little bit, if there's enough of its presence in your region, then you're reducing overall the populations of the mealybugs. Um, so we're really encouraging region-wide pheromone mating disruption, which will come with time. You know, that's not something that happens overnight. But but we were really lucky that Dr. Kent Dana, who I told you about a little earlier, he was awarded um, with, a, with a team of collaborators, including us, a, a biologically integrated farming systems grant from the California Department of Food and Agriculture to to look at this regional pheromone mating disruption, among other things. For more information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at planttopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradeen, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karate. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia. 